What's up, everyone? This is Matt Vogt of The Lifestyle Practice, where together with my partners, Derek, Steve, and Justin, we help dentists just like yourself achieve your goals and dreams through practice ownership. We work with clients in a number of different ways, including free content like this podcast you're listening to, as well as our online TLP Academy, which has over 70 video modules and tons of other resources, and of course, through one-on-one coaching. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd love for you to like and subscribe, or just pass it along to a friend who might enjoy it as well. Well, happy belated Mother's Day to all you moms out there listening to this. I hope you all had a great Mother's Day weekend with the people you care about. I'm coming to you as always from Indianapolis with the windows open here in my home office on a on a beautiful spring day. So when it's nice out here, I'm happy and we're out of winter, which means uh, I'm going to be happy for a long time. So pretty pumped about that. But uh, let's jump right in. Today is part two of our Scratch Start mini series where I'm bringing you a step-by-step guide with tips and tricks on how to start your very own dental practice from scratch. Location, financing and lease negotiation, construction, equipment and supply, marketing, hiring, all of the puzzle pieces that you need to put together. And once again, even if you're already in an existing practice or you know you're never going to do a startup practice from scratch, I encourage you to keep listening because a lot of this information can benefit you as well. For the first part of this mini series, we talked about location. So if you haven't heard that already, go back and have a listen. Location is one of the most important factors that is going to determine the success for a startup practice or any practice for that matter. So it's important to nail it. And that's why I wanted to talk about it first. But another part that's very, very important to nail down is financing. Because if done right, this is going to set you up for years of success down the road. So today's going to revolve around financing for your dental practice. And it's not as simple as going into the bank and saying, hey, I want a loan to build a dental practice. It's a bit more nuanced than that. And there are some things that you can do leading up to the financing portion of your practice that will really put you ahead of the game. I'm hoping that from my experience, I can give you some tips and tricks that are are going to help. I won't use names of specific lenders or make any specific recommendations for vendors in this podcast, but if you want some more insight or if you have any questions, you can always email me at matt at thelifestylepractice.com. When it comes to building a dental practice or really anything in the world these days, it's no secret that costs have gone up over the past few years. When I built my practice in 2017, I utilized a new dentist financing program through one of the country's uh, major lenders where the maximum loan size was 325,000. And that's what it still is today. That includes money to build out the practice as well as working capital, which is a chunk of the loan that is given to you in cash for you to pay for upfront expenses before you begin making money. Things like supplies, smaller equipment, maybe even your initial payroll or some marketing things before you start receiving checks from insurance companies and and payments for dentistry. Even back in 2017, before costs went up, this was cutting it close, this loan amount to build a practice. I cut costs on just about everything to make this work. Honestly, I probably wasn't the best friend of my construction company and some of the vendors that I was working with because I would go through, through things line item by line item and cut on just about everything that I could that wasn't essential. And this is what I'll still do today when working with startup clients, because it's so important to minimize any and all unnecessary costs at the beginning. 
And we'll talk more about this when we discuss lease negotiation and construction and, and supply and all those other things in future episodes. But fast forward to today, and for most startups, this is dependent on your size, of course, but you may need a loan that's close to twice the size I mentioned. That $325,000 loan program for new dentists still exists if you're dead set on doing a startup right out of school, but it's going to be very difficult these days. And you'll almost certainly need another source of financing if you were to try to make that happen, or you'll have to go through one of the avenues I'm about to talk about. If we're looking at getting approved for a, a loan at a larger amount than, than that to start or purchase a practice, there are some things that you'll want to do before you even go to the bank. And nailing the details of financing has become much more important in the past few years, in my opinion. With the rising costs of everything, there's just much less wiggle room in this process. So if you're going to the bank and, and you're looking to get approved for a loan, most likely they will want to see a year or two of experience and production records from you as a dentist. If this is the case, we want to make sure that you're in an associateship position where you're producing an amount that shows the bank what you'd be able to do as a dentist in your own practice once they finance you. Now, these recommendations are coming you know, as I'm speaking to the masses here. There certainly are ways, more creative ways to finance things in a scratch start or an acquisition. Like you probably know my story and Derek and Steve, my partners who purchase practices right out of school, but those are a little more few and far in between. So sure, you can get creative, but mainly sticking to what's going to work for, for most people who are, who are listening to this. The priority in your associateship should be doing dentistry. And this can be in private practice, corporate dentistry, wherever. Just don't fall into the trap of a slower associateship where you know maybe you feel like you're getting mentorship or I don't know what it might be. Um, but we don't want you to be in a, in a position where you're not building your speed and your skills or making an income that you're capable of. You need to have the proof that you can do dentistry at an acceptable rate to show banks. Something you can also be thinking about at this point is how this associateship could become a part-time gig for you to work and have a steady source of income once your startup practice is open and it's getting off the ground. Some banks may want to hear that you have a plan to, say, work two days a week initially while your startup practice is open three days a week. You're not going to let your associateship know of your plans or give them notice until much, much further down the road. So don't go doing that. But this is something you can start to think about and see, hmm, can this job that I have somehow become a fairly lucrative part-time gig that can help support me in the beginning stages of my startup practice? And can I show the bank that there's that potential? So a big key when you have this associateship and you're getting ready to get financing for a scratch start or an acquisition, is you want to be able to sock away cash for expenses that will come up before you're approved for a loan by the bank or for expenses that don't fall under the terms of your loan. So for most people, I recommend a minimum of $20,000 saved before you even go to obtain financing. But really, there's no downside for even more, even up to around $50,000 or more. Now, this next point is going to feel a bit counterintuitive, but it's something that a lot of people don't do. And I think it hurts them and puts more stress on them in the beginning stages of financing. 
I am not a financial advisor, but I tend to encourage doctors in this position to build this savings account that we just discussed first and actually not pay down student loans initially more quickly than they should. So this also means not refinancing your student loans right off the bat until you achieve practice financing. Now, why would you do this? I know you want to crush your student loans. I get it. My student loans ballooned to over $450,000 when I was building my scratch start. But if you select an income-based repayment plan initially to keep your monthly student loan commitment as low as possible, and you put away basically any extra cash into savings that you can, banks will love you for this. They love that your debt requirement is low and that you have money saved in the bank because you become less of a risk. And this is going to make them more likely to lend to you and more likely to give you the financing you need with more favorable terms. So if you're a young dentist listening to this, a lot of the time this means continuing to live like a student in your first few years of practice while you prepare your finances in this way. You want to minimize any monthly debt commitment. So that means avoiding a bloated car or house payment as much as you can until you receive financing for your practice. Now, once you get the financing you need and you get into ownership, that's when you can refinance your loans and really start to crush them. But if you do it the other way around and you you know have a bunch of expenses that come up uh, before you get into ownership, you might find it more difficult to find that financing that you need. And owning your own dental practice is absolutely the most important way for you to reach financial freedom in your dental career. So it should be a, a massive priority early on. What I tend to recommend when you're looking for financing is reaching out to a number of different banks. Because in today's lending climate, everyone will be a little different in the terms that they offer. And if you're an attractive person to lend to, you may have more favorable results than just reaching out to one or two banks. I would start with the big banks that have practice financing divisions, but I also wouldn't be afraid to reach out to local banks or banks that you have a relationship with in your area. When I was looking for practice financing, I reached out to close to 20 or 30 banks and got approved for financing by two of them. The one that I mentioned before and a local bank here in Indianapolis. Now, I was still in dental school and no one really wanted to give me the time of day but it never hurts to be reaching out to multiple banks. And don't get discouraged if it takes some searching, especially if you are fresh out of school. Now, there are a couple things that you'll want to make sure you're getting included in your loan terms. And if you don't, they could crush you before you even start. Most importantly, I'd say, is you want to make sure that your loan payments are delayed until after you open your practice. That's pretty obvious. But also you want to make sure that they're interest only or reduced in amount initially and then ramp up over time. That kind of seems obvious as well, but here's why having that in your terms is nice. So an example from when I started my practice, things got delayed. Six or seven months of construction turned into 10. So when that happened, I had to start paying rent before my practice opened. I had to do that for a couple months. So I was very fortunate. I had a lot of cash saved, so it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I, I didn't like the situation. I didn't want this to be happening, but I was able to pay the rent with the money I had saved. Then once my practice finally did open, having interest-only payments for a few months and then having the loan amount be reduced 
for, I think it was like the first year, it was really, really helpful to increase my cash flow and get cash flow positive in the first month. The first month we were open, we were making a profit. A common thread with a lot of things in a startup and a successful startup is minimizing risk. So we want to minimize risk as much as possible. Along those lines, you also want to make sure that you're getting approved for the largest loan you possibly can, but then spending as little as possible to build your practice. I know that seems like a catch-22, but here's why it's important. With a little research, you should be able to figure out a very rough ballpark figure for what you can expect to spend to build your practice based on the square footage of the space that you're looking at. This will vary greatly depending on the area of the country that you're in. And if you want my opinion based on what I'm seeing, uh, feel free to email me and I can, I can hopefully give you some information. By having the largest loan that you can get, it's going to give you flexibility to design the practice optimally and the flexibility to potentially deal with any changes or overages that occur. That inevitably happens with almost every project. It's, it's almost unavoidable. It will also give you flexibility to have enough working capital and funds for the equipment that you need. Once again, this is about decreasing your risk and stress and having as much cushion as possible. So when I started my practice and I told you about the size of that loan, $325,000, it was incredibly stressful. And yeah, I did have to cut some corners on some things that I wish I didn't. But if I had had a slightly larger loan, I could have avoided some of these things right at the beginning and spent that money intelligently to build the best practice. All this being said, you still need to be ruthless in cutting costs in your initial build out, especially in today's day and age with rising costs. And I'll have some more pointers for you when we touch on practice design and equipment in future episodes that I hope will help you save money as you, as you start your own practice. I know this is a, a bit of a quicker episode, but I hope that the puzzle pieces are starting to come together for you now because in order to get approved for the biggest loan possible, you've got to have your personal finances in order to make this happen. Minimal debt, minimal personal expenses, and a large cushion of cash are all very, very important. All right. I think that does it for part two of our mini series. As I said before, in coming episodes, we'll talk about lease negotiation, construction, equipment and supply, marketing, hiring, all sorts of fun things. As always, email me if you've got any questions or if I can help in any way, or even to just let me know if you enjoyed an episode like this. I really do love getting emails from you all, no matter where you're at in your career. My email is matt at thelifestylepractice.com. Of course, you can also visit us at thelifestylepractice.com to learn more about what we do as a group. But until next time, cheers, and I'll talk to you again soon. Sicker than your average, sicker than your 